So now is the time for us to hear the word of God. This morning, the word to us is Psalm 51. And I once had someone say to me that studying and hearing scripture was one of the most powerful things you can do. Dangerous even because you can't come away from it unchanged because the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So it's defensive, but it's also like a surgeon's scalpel on our own hearts. So hear this word to us this morning from Psalm 51, Psalm of David. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then the bulls will be offered on your altar. The word of the Lord. I'm not going to go through uh, every verse like I typically do with the Psalms because we're covering um, really a topic, uh, the topic of being cleansed and particularly the topic of what we do um, when the kid says, when the kid's saying um, that we are cleansed by God's grace. Um, at the same time, it, it's a little weird not to do that, but it's also um, almost impossible to do a sermon on the public reality of confession and assurance um, with one passage of the Bible. One, because 
um, there are thousands of places of it in the Bible. And two, um, because you want to get all the pictures and the facets of it as well. Um, This was written by a person who was um, the highest ruling official in Israel after a catastrophic failure, which included his abuse of power, murder, lust, abuse, deceit, adultery, cover-up, hypocrisy, and then remorse, accepting responsibility, starting to try to repair what he had broken of his wrongdoing, and then being restored. That's King David. It's an amazing, amazing psalm. I, I, I commend it to you for your meditations and reading this week. Uh, John Donne, one of my favorite writers because he's so nuanced. He says, sleep with clean hands, either clept, kept clean all day by integrity or washed clean at night by repentance. Come clean. It's what we do every week in worship service. Actually, also in 2004, Method Soap and Cleaners, you know Method? They're pretty still still around. They had one of the most brilliant campaigns, marketing campaigns ever. It was called Come Clean. And the basic gist of it was that you got on their website and there was a bowl and there were hands like this. And there, there was a properly set method soap next to it. And what you entered in was w- enter in what you want to confess. And then you entered in what you wanted to confess. You enter in your confession and then the hands turned over and it was written on the hand. And then it automatically went to the soap, and it washed it away. Brilliant marketing. The blogs went wild. People wrote, I don't like my mom's chicken pot pie. I I actually burned down the garage. I lied to you about the money I lost. Millions of people used it. The design and marketing community went nuts on it. Blog commentators went wild, and that was in 2004. Method absolves sinners, a worldwide confession booth. Come clean, genius, simplicity. Method kept going with, I still think it's their tagline, people against dirty. Whatever you think of it, you must admit of this universal and important and life-shifting issue of what do we do with our dirt emotionally and our actions. It tapped into what Psalm 51 was just doing. It, Psalm 51 called it hyssop, was just the cleaning and medical um, uh, treatment of the thousand passages that talk about cleansing and forgiveness and restoration and pardon and peace to come clean. We just did it 15 minutes ago, and and, and the whole purpose of the sermon is what we did, well, it was probably like 25 minutes ago. When I was writing the sermon, I thought it was going to be 15 minutes ago, but it was probably like 25. To, To live out in front of each other and before our Lord cleansing, 
we confessed our sin and folly, and God assured us of our pardon and welcome. That's what we mean by cleansing one of the seeds, that we're cleansed by God each week together in worship with heartfelt reality, publicly, public confession. It can't get much more uh, countercultural than that. And I could spend the entire sermon just reading passage after passage after passage about it. But the God who made us doesn't ask us to come clean to sell us a product, but to give him himself and to give us ourselves back. He cleanses us to be with us and that we could be right with ourselves and our neighbor. That's the purpose. And anyone will admit that they need to be clean and turn to him for cleansing can come and be clean. I want to read another passage about God cleanses us. Oh, I'm going to read several passages. But I, I also, if you're going to do Psalm 51, might as well turn over back to Leviticus, which the first few chapters there, go ahead and read 1 through 9. It won't kill you. There'll be some weird spots, but, it's, you know, get over it. Just keep reading. Um, but they have a sacrificial system in Leviticus, um, and there's a point in like 4, 5, 6, and in verse 5 particularly, it talks about the sin offering. The sin offering is, says things like this. When he realizes his guilt in any of these, we'll talk about the these, and confesses his sin, he shall bring it to the Lord, which is an offering. That kind of guilt included everybody in the strata of who, um, who Israel was, included the priests, it included um, uh, different groups of people, regular old folk. Um, it was included intentional and in unintentional guilt. And what they did was bring an offering, sometimes bulls, sometimes lambs, sometimes a grain offering, for some reason without oil. And they brought it. Those provisions of, of not having anything were for the poor, who may not have two doves. And so the grain was available to them. And the, bring it to the priest, and, and there would be some ceremony, some ritual in which things would be cleansed. But it was never about the bulls and the goats. We hear that in Hebrews later. It's always about the weight and value we put on this kind of cleansing. The Old Testament and New Testament are filled with this acknowledgement that our sin and folly, our rebellion, our missteps, and all of that stuff keeps us um, away from ourselves, anxious and sleepless and unsure, and away from God in some way that is not permanent, but is real um, experiential realities. It's the stuff we call now in modern psychology, shame. And real guilt. But we don't do this just to kind of get it off our chests and come clean, because that's not what the thing's all about. It's about coming clean because he promises to restore and forgive and bring life and welcome and empower the weird thing is that it's public most of the time in the scriptures. I mean, Psalm 51, uh, it was probably initially a devotional from David. But it's the 51st Psalm, which is in the hymn book of Israel. That means everybody sang it all the time. It's a hymn for public worship. It is deeply personal, but it doesn't make it less corporate. It's for us to learn how to do this together, to publicly confess our sin and receive his forgiveness. Just confessing your sin without receiving his forgiveness 
is a bad AA meeting. What we do each week is, is, is a sin addict's, which is what we presuppose we all are in the Christian tradition, a sin addict's weekly intervention. We're going to the meeting, and we're saying, this is true of me. Gather around by people who understand and can connect, who want our best. We admit it. We admit it all. And we take it to the one who will heal us. I know some of you who grew up in certain traditions or have visions of what certain traditions would look like. Are you saying, Giorgio, like, is this an actual, like, are you saying you should get into this ritual to do some kind of more religious kind of stuff? To participate in some formality? And for those of you who, who, who experience some type of rote religiosity without any kind of uh, connection to the heart, mind, body experience, I have great sympathy for you. Empty of genuine belief or faithfulness or you know, just a faithless formality, and no emotional courage to actually get into that space where confession is, that one minute we do each week where we say, here's what we're doing publicly, now make it your own in a different way. I get it. My, but my response to this is the scripture is actually forming us in a different way where, 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 he's a, where Psalm 51 is, say, is able to say, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and teach me wisdom in the secret heart. I want to go dig in on that secret heart thing so much. What does that mean? God cares deeply about our hearts and our bodies and our minds to be engaged in all that we do all day long and in the confession insurance. I feel like sometimes in modern world, we're so afraid of being not authentic, as if any of us has been authentic ever. That we won't participate in some ways and paths that people have given us, that people in our own church have written for us to put words to the place where it might connect with our hearts and then give us space to do something with it. If you wait until, if you tarry till you're authentic, you will never come at all. He wants us to learn the rhythms of this kind of cleansing to, have, cleansing, to have some type of expectation for it. Day in, day out, week in, week out. And Sunday morning is a place where we habituate that. We do it together. Because most people aren't used to confessing, to telling on themselves. So we need some practice. It's not about the ritual for you will not delight in sacrifice or give it to you. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering which you just talked about in Levit Leviticus. The fact that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And how does the psalm end? And now we will bring our sacrifice to you. It's not eradicating it. It's fulfillment of it. It's getting it all right and in right order. It's embodying it. Postures of weakness don't come natural to any of us. And, and even Leviticus's sin offerings weren't meant to, to be an empty ritual, but to lean into that posture of humility and brokenness and the radical courage to own your own junk. Which brings us to Jesus, often called David's greater son. 
where he does the same thing in his teaching. He tells the story of two guys going to the temple. One was the good guy. The other was the bad guy. The good guy comes to the temple and he says, oh, dear God, thank you that my sin is not as bad as the bad guy's sin. And the bad guy comes up and he says, beating his chest, Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, one of them goes away justified. One of them goes away cleansed. One of them goes away in right relationship with God. You can guess which one Jesus might thought it was. Not the good guy who thought he was good, but the bad guy who knew he was bad and had some form of trust that there would be an assurance of pardon after that confession. And it was granted him. And some of you have asked me before, doesn't Jesus' coming and his life, his death, his sacrifice, and his resurrection nullify the Old Testament sacrifice, these religious, religious practices? practices aren't we all forgiven of our sins in past present and future and the answer is yes and no it's nuanced of course one drop of christ's blood covers all of our sin all of humanity's sin past present and future for whom it is intended the blood of bulls and the smoke of a burnt offering were never the acceptable sacrifice they were all arrows that were pointing to something Only Jesus' blood does that. But Jesus' blood was not an abstraction for you to get your head around. It was a life to live in. And part of our worship together is reordering and renewing and redoing and re-understanding and reliving in the reality that is eternal above us into our days, into our space right now. Jesus did teach us the one who has forgiven our sin, past, present, and future, to pray, forgive us our sins. So both can be, two things can be true at the same time. The bulls and the burnt offerings were about our hearts being reoriented to dealing with our need for this cleansing. And same with our participation in it in worship. Getting us in the habit of posture and brokenness. And I don't mean it's like, Sometimes when you do training, it's like practice, as in the game doesn't count. I mean practice as being a practitioner where the game always counts. Jesus' sacrifice was about our need for ultimate cleansing, ensuring that that would actually live out in time and space, both eternally and presently. It's weird. I, I get it. There's some mystery here. Hebrews says, 10, 14, For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He has perfected for all time those who still need to be perfected. You can write me papers on that, and I would love to receive them. Jesus, at the cross and the resurrection, offered a perfect and singular sacrifice for our sins. And yet we're being sanctified as we participate in his life here on earth, day in, day out. It is a strange thing. But think about it as him fulfilling all the things of the Old Testament, now and forever. And that it's growing into that. And that that reality that's the big picture reality, the, the cleansing efficacy of Jesus and his sacrifice gives us confidence 
that we can enter into the daily realities of forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Because he is the great high priest, back to Hebrews now, who made atonement for us. But he was the priest and the bull and the grain offering. He cleanses as the authority figure in it and as the sacrifice, the paschal lamb. Now and forever. And so in Christ, as our lives are hidden in Christ, the, 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 the most um, popular way the Bible talks about people who are Christians, as we, our, our lives are in him, we experience the entire sacrificial system in him. We're cleansed by God. In him we participate because he is the perfect priest and the perfect bull or lamb or whatever form of sacrifice or offering is given. We don't only need to be forgiven of our sins for eternity, which we are. We need to be told how that specifically works out in our lives day to day. It reminds me of the George Eliot quote, I don't only need to be loved, I need to be told I'm loved. Could you imagine going through an entire relationship where, well, now that you have that acknowledged data that you are loved, you never need to be told you're loved. It's folly. This is, you not only need to be forgiven, you need to be told you're forgiven. You need to embody the forgiveness. Your words need to, your tongue needs to tell of the need for forgiveness. And then you need to hear the word of God tell you back. And again, we're not great at this. I mean, come on, you've seen public figures apologize, sports figures si saying, I'm sorry if you were offended. Mistakes were made. All passive voice or putting it to somebody else. A sincere, I read this one, a sincere and personal, a sincere and personal apology that their words and actions were misrepresented. Neither sincere or personal or an apology. <laughs> Actually, an indictment of the person's ears. That's what, what we're trained to do. But what we're trained in the worship service is just Repent. And say, I did it. We take responsibility of our sins of commission, things we do, and sins of omission, things we don't do that we knew we should have done. In Christ, you can say, I did it. I don't know, I really did it. I really messed up. I actually lied to you. It wasn't a white lie, it was a lie. I actually didn't give a flip about what you were going through. Not at that time and space. I kind of do now, but I did it, or I didn't do it. And I'm sorry. I mean, y'all, the confession and assurance is just very simple. I am sorry from us. You are forgiven from God. It's just that simple. Cleanse me. Okay. Not only that, I'm welcoming. It molds us week after week. It's like this smooth, this is like this river that's rushing through that smooths down the rocks, right? Every true word, every space we actually enter into it, it rums, rubs down the, the jagged edges of our self-reliance, our hiding, our, our, our inability to trust him. It, it, it proves it o'er and o'er, if you will. I mean, most people, 
in the world, and this is not a shame on them. Those people in the world have very few, maybe 50 genuine I'm sorry's in their lifetime. And what we do each week in a worship service is 52 times a year, at least one time, we're going to say I'm sorry, and we're going to hear you're forgiven by the one who actually has the authority and power and desire and love to forgive and restore us. Because confession, super wonderful, but it's all about the assurance. It's all about the power and the trustworthiness of God to bring it to bear. 90% of our confessions are not from the scripture. Uh, probably 50% of our, 60%, I'm not even going to do a number now because I just went 40% wide. Um, Many of our professions, are, our confessions, are written from the heart of a human. The vast majority of our assurances are the very word of God spoken to you. Because you'll go, you're not going to get one right. But we need to get right that our Lord Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit forgive our sins. And we need to have some rest and authority about it. That doesn't say, it's all right. But I forgive you. We confess with our words, but we are assured by his word. And in so we collapse upon the Christ, upon Jesus himself and all his life and righteousness, the only one that never needed to confess to the Father. And in that place, the Father and the Son and the Spirit catch us as we collapse, which is a scary place because you're not sure. It's a trust fall. I'm going to go ahead and own it right now but it is the place where there is new life. Ongoing asking for forgiveness and receiving pardon, receiving forgiveness is one of the great delights of the Christian life. It's one of the most difficult, but it is one of the great delights of the Christian life. And I don't care if you call it a ritual or not. All the goodies there if we come with our whole hearts. Because either when you mess up, even as a Christian, you will either run away from God or run towards him. And what confession insurance does, what cleansing does, is train our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our psyche to run towards him and not run into further peril. Self-reliance runs away. Fear that God would actually love or catch us runs away. But the gospel says, that those are all lies and that you can run to him however broken you are. Because Jesus has done all that work and has called you and, and is, is convincing you by his mercy that you can be loved even amid your sin and folly. So of heart, in reality, run, don't walk to the confession and assurance on every Sunday morning. And then sit there and just let it be. He already loves you. There's always this, there's always this spot in that moment for me where I'm like, oh, dude, this part's going to stink. But boy, if we just wait another 30, 40 seconds after I get this thing out, we're going we're to get the good work. Like, I can be accepted here. I can be known. If you've never done this, if this is not, you're like, I do not know what he's talking about. I got the method illustration. I got the soap stuff. If you never experienced this, I can tell you this, that it is 
of the most profound and liberating realities. To have your sins forgiven and to trust that that's true, both by God himself and the ones closest to you. And I'm sorry if you have not experienced that, especially from other human beings, especially from God. But Christians, if you have experienced this, you know this, the gospel doesn't stop at our conversion or our initial experience of it. It's repeated again and again. It is rote. And I told the Sunday school class last week, rote was a word that sometimes means meaningless now. But one of the original meanings of rote means of the heart. Like you know it by heart. Knowing something by heart is a really beautiful thing in the second sense of that word. And so again and again we do it. It's not to dig up dirt on you. You and God both know the dirt. It's reconciling amid it and being able to trust God to call you back to the beauty of his love. That the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in cahoots to love you and they have turned heaven and earth upside down for you. It's the thing that makes sense of the prayer. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. In the great high priest, our Lord Jesus, the answer to that is yes, I will. And so you don't have to be ashamed or afraid to own your own stuff. Father loves you. The Son has sacrificed his very life for you and risen from the dead, and now the Spirit applies all of that goodness into our hearts. And I get it. There are times when you feel utterly comatose spiritually. So let the liturgy, let the cleansed by God moment, just move the needle a little bit. Give yourself to it a bit. Read a devotional. Open Psalm 51. We're just looking to move the needle a bit. Even when you think you're already at, at, you know, you're on the red, you ain't there. So it's only moving the needle a bit anyway. So give yourself to that. The bad news of the gospel is that you're guilty and I'm guilty and you're dirty and I'm dirty. The good news of the gospel is that he cleanses us from our sin. And actually, both believer and non, you want this more than you know. I was reading an article on Bernie, Mer- uh, Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff? That's right. Didn't write that part in my notes. <coughs> he writes, I wish they caught me six years ago, eight years ago. We long for cleansing and power, even when we can't get ourselves to that spot. We long for the intervention. And what the Lord does in his worship service every week is give us that opportunity for an intervention again. So methods come clean, marketing strategy had to be shut down. The FBI were involved, the police, because people were confessing things that were horrific. Not just 
pot pie, right? Not just adultery, but abuse, murder, serial murder. They literally could not handle it. Most of the stuff we do to cleanse ourselves is just soap. And I'm not mad at this beautiful instinct that happened to them, but it is a beautiful thing that they too realize they cannot handle the sin of the world. It cannot be dealt with. Even though we have every instinct to deal with this, even though we will tagline our products on this, we cannot handle this. Every culture everywhere has some form of cleansing ritual. That's not an accident. It's a good and right instinct, but what will we do with it? The only insanity the Bible says that we can do with it is if we try to handle it ourselves. We're allowed to talk about it. We're allowed to be with each other in it. We're allowed to confess it to one another. We're allowed to give advice around it. But you and I cannot handle it ourselves. And God knows this. And so he sent his son to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And for us to every week practice it. In expectation of that ultimate day where we will be clean forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us confess, and more importantly, help us believe what is true, that if we come to you in our confession, you forgive us, and you restore us to yourself, because you love us and you long to be with us. Give us the courage to believe such things.